Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller and welcome to The Forever Student. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, we have a very, very special guest this week. This man is a massive inspiration. He has stories that will absolutely blow your mind and will make you want to level up yourself. I'm so grateful that he has joined here today. Uh, he's the founder of Interfight, an endurance athlete, and he's a boundary-breaking guy. No goal too big for him. Mr. No Weakness himself, Marcus Smith, welcome to the show. Mate, what an introduction. I, I better say something decent in, in, in the next few minutes, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to, to, to chat to me. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. Listen, I've followed your journey very closely and you've, and you've done some amazing things and at the same time gone through some very tough times as well. And, and I'm hoping we're all going to tackle those things today. My intention really is to get in your head and understand you know, how you face the ups and downs and what listeners can do to basically face their own. Um, but before we dive deep into everything, I wanted to talk about Interfight. Um, what is it and why did you start it? That's a, that's a good place to start, Stefan. Thanks a lot, mate, for giving me the opportunity. Basically, Interfight is my, my business. I set it up. I set up the brand in 2008. And I'll, I'll try and condense it for, for everyone. But basically, in 2004, I started helping people who were struggling both physically on, on the outset or on, on the outer, they're struggling physically, but they're also struggling mentally because of those physical struggles. And I started helping people by coaching people, talking to people, physically coaching people, mentoring people to a point in 2008 where I had quite a few people I was taking care of. And I just started the brand in a fight because I realized that everything that we're facing is happening in our brain. And we're constantly having these different wars in, in our brain. So that's where Inner Fight comes from. Fast forward, mate, in 2000, I was working for Adidas at the time. Fast forward in 2010, I'd actually moved to Nike. And I realized when I was at Nike that I loved what I was doing. I used to love selling shoes, mate. I was a sales director for Nike and, and I was so passionate about it. I loved it. But I, I guess, mate, reflecting back, it'd be like I felt my calling was somewhere else and my my real love my real passion was was just helping people and to unlock certain areas of their life not always physical that's part of what i do but also to enjoy relationships a lot more to enjoy their job a lot more and really to sort of zone in on that and that's really when i i took this leap of faith i guess you could say although I didn't really see it as a leap of faith because I just kind of knew it was what I wanted to do. And I started in a fight as my full-time job, which, you know, jumping from the corporate world and I worked for, as I said, Nike and Adidas and great salaries for a number of years. You know, you're like, okay, next month I need to pay my rent. And, you know, you go through all these interesting things. Fast forward to today, Stefan, and we are a 7,000 square foot facility here in Studio City, where we teach people a, a very broad spectrum of fitness. So we've taught CrossFit for a number of years. We also do a lot of weight loss, a lot of transformation. We do an incredible amount of personal training. We do yoga. We do fitness for kids. And we, do, we have a huge endurance section as well, where we coach close to 200 endurance athletes to various goals. Now, the way that I still see it is very much how I saw it back in, in, in the early days in 2004 to 2008. We're helping people to become better at life, 
through the services that we offer, which mainly out of the gym here are physical. As I said, I do quite a lot of mentoring and, and, and I guess mate, sometimes almost psychological psychology sort of coaching for people, but that's kind of what we do. And that's our, our slogan is show no weakness. Our objective, our vision is to make people better at life. So hopefully within those two or three minutes, people have figured out what we do and why we do it. And I think that's important as well. And going a bit deeper on that, you, you talk a lot about helping people and, and where is like, where did that come from? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, mate. I, I wasn't always like that. I, when I was at school, I was very, I think I was very selfish. Uh, however, I do remember when I was at school, I used to encourage the other kids to come and play sport with me. And when they did, and this has taken a little bit of time to sort of connect all these dots. When they did, I got a lot of satisfaction out of helping them and training them essentially. And I, I remember I used to share a, a dormitory at school with a, with a Russian guy. And we used to train at about 4.35 a.m. in the winter in school in the UK. And I look back now on those sessions and I'm like, that's really, I think, when my passion might have started. And mate. I think we're all, and especially these days, we know that the world's in an interesting scenario, mate. And, you know, we don't, it's not easy for everyone. Like everyone finds something easy, but not everyone finds everything easy. And to, to be able to help someone, another human being, another person that's essentially just like me, we've got two arms, we've got two legs, get better at life and have a more fulfilling life because hey, unfortunately not a lot of people are having lives that they really love and that upsets me because we're getting one chance at this stuff you know literally we've got one one at bat as as you'd say and i was like wow if i can if i've got a skill set that can help people really enjoy this journey of life then that's what i've got to do i've got to help people and mate i've i've I'll be honest with you, some of it's still quite selfish because that's my motivation and I get so much satisfaction. Sometimes I think I get more excited when I'm working with someone and they do something cool or they lose some weight or they, you know, they go somewhere in, in, in the work. Sometimes I'm like more excited than they are. They're like, are you okay? I'm like, mate, I'm just so excited for you. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, it's a weird one, but yeah, that's kind of where it, that's kind of where it came from, I guess. It's so rewarding, right? Like to, to basically help people watch them on their journey to, to basically something incredible. I, I wanted to, because I wanted to really go into all the stuff that you've done, because there's, there's really a number of things as, as far as I know. But before we do that, like when it comes to, you know, what sets Marcus Smith apart from everyone else? Because your, like your mindset and your discipline is something that very few people I know have right? Like the yeah. commitment to go out and, and run 250 kilometers in the desert, like these sort of things, you know, when I tell my friends about it or, or the people that I know about it, they're just yeah. like, that's, that's, that's insane. That's crazy. But, but to you, it's something that's become a little bit more normal, uh, achievable. Yeah. yeah I, discipline for me started when I was in boarding school, when I was nine years old, I was sent to boarding school. And I'll be totally honest with you. When I first got to boarding school, I was like, why this? Why that? Why the other? And very fast, I saw the positive impact of 
making sure I was dressed correctly, making sure my socks were always pulled up, making sure my bed was made properly, making sure the book next to my bed was like at right angles on the chair. So discipline for me started super early. And in boarding school, if you weren't disciplined, then you were punished. Now, I spent a lot of time in detention at one stage because they knew that if I was in detention, I wouldn't be able to play sport. So the te- my teachers were kind of really smart with me and they would take away the privilege of playing sport by putting me in detention. And at one stage, I had detention for more time than was actually left in the term time. And I quickly learned that I wasn't going to win against these teachers and that they were teaching me discipline because that was going to make me a better human being. I think the reason why a lot of people are unable to stay focused on what they're doing or don't achieve great things these days is purely because of a lack of discipline. Yes, there's a lot of thoughts about not understanding your real why and and your underlying motivation, but you can be as motivated as possible. If you're not disciplined, then hitting those goals is going to be incredibly, incredibly tough. And that was an opportunity I had as a youngster I was in boarding school, as I said, from the age of nine. And I think that's where a lot of this, I guess you could call stuff, stemmed from and started. And it was tough, though, at the same time, Stefan. And and that's one thing that I always say to people. Like, I was away from my family for a number of months on end. And, you know, that was very hard on, on, on my parents and also on me as an individual. But I was forced, I think, from an early age to just to really figure myself out and figure out, you know, what makes me happy and what doesn't. And a lot of people might be listening and going, well, I didn't have that. That's fine. There is no excuse. It's because you didn't have it then, it doesn't mean you can't have it now. And discipline starts with, and that's why I always mention those things that are super simple. Like, you know, people are listening and making your bed. And you know, there's that book as well that's out, like Make Your Bed by the big general that was at the passing out ceremony. You know, it's the simplest things. We always, we always seem to want to hit the stars and land on the moon and, you know, all those sort of phrases, if you like. Well, it starts by waking up tomorrow morning earlier than your alarm not pressing snooze, hopping out of bed and taking action. And for some people, Stefan, getting up tomorrow morning at 6.30 or whatever time it is might be the biggest thing they can do. Don't worry about going for a run or doing anything like that. Just the discipline of getting up is something that you have to train for. And no matter where people are in life, they can start this. And that's what, that's what I think is super amazing. But as coaches, we have to start to help them to unlock that. And for some people, especially people that I deal with, I deal with like 35-year-old, 40-year-old people. Like that's a number of years of really bad habits that I have to completely unpack. And in unpacking those bad habits, it's hectic, mate, because it's emotional. It's hard. Like it's really tough because we've got to pull out a lot of stuff that's been under there. And some people are just not ready to do that. But if you are ready, then you can, you can, do, you can do anything, mate. You can literally do anything. Honestly, you can do anything if you're ready. But a lot of people say they're ready and they're not ready. And do you guys have like a 
Because for me, one of the big things with, with forming habits, actually, there's a couple of things. One is, like you said, don't necessarily start massive, right? Yeah. Like maybe implement also the smaller value adding habits more on a consistent basis, whether it's waking up early, whether it's making your bed, you know, eating healthy, like these, these sort of uh, the, the no brainers, I want to call them. Um, yeah. And then obviously moving into moving into bigger goals. But I think the other thing, and I would love to see what you think about this and, and how you guys at Interfight maybe implement this, is what about accountability? Like how do you hold your, uh, your athletes or your coaches, for that matter, accountable to what they're supposed to be doing and what they said they would do? That's a really good question. For, for, for our team, for, for the company, and now we employ 25 people, for the team, we have regular check-ins. So once a week, we look at, we look at all their, their figures, their performance figures, based on the goals they set the previous week. For clients, technology is the, is the, is the winner here. So you'll have a – for example, I have a client that I coach online. They'll do a workout that I'll put in their online software. As soon as they finish doing that workout, they'll press stop on their watch, and I will get all of the data. So there's absolutely no hiding place. If we're going to perform optimally, we need to make sure that we have complete transparency across anything. And for one, technology is an amazing way to do that right now. We can do that with food tracking apps. We can do that with as simple as someone sending you. We'll have a client who might be on a weight loss program and we'll start them by just sending us pictures of their food every time they eat. And I'm not here to judge you. I just want to see a picture. You've got a smartphone. Everyone's got a smartphone. It's how we're able to do stuff like this. Every time you're going to eat something, send me a picture of that food. And that's, we have to have that trust and that transparency. Things start to change. Once you have that accountability, and in the era of technology and communication, the way it is these days, we can create so many different check-in points. When you wake up in the morning, just send me a message. Wake up 4.30, send me a message. I'll be ready. You know, and before we probably didn't have as as easier checking points as we do now. Your goal for tomorrow, for example, Stefan, is wake up four twenty nine. Send me a WhatsApp. If you go back to sleep after that, you won't because I'll talk to you and blah 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 blah. But if you you've hit that checking point, so we can create with technology a number of different checking points, which only go to help people have more accountability and accountability increases the chances of success. So that's kind of how, how we do it. And um, not to scare people off, but I would love to ask you what your, what your morning routine is. <laughs> Mate, it's very straightforward. So, it, and, and it's been the same for an, a number of years now. So I will wake up. I, anyone that follows me in social media knows that I have this rule called the 59 rule. So you never... You basically, you should never be setting your alarm at 6 a.m. or at 6.30 a.m. Your alarm should always be, if you want to wake up at 6, it should be at 5.59. If you want to wake up at 6.30, it should be at 5.29 for a number of reasons or for two main reasons. One reason is if you set it one minute early, if I tell you that the meeting starts at 5.59, you're like, this guy means business. I'm not going to be late. So now people aren't late for me and I'm never late for people. So you set a precedent. If you say the meeting's at 6 p.m. or at 11 a.m., a lot of people are like, yeah, 11.15, like mm. all, especially in this part of the world, mate. It's crazy. You know it. Whereas if I said to you, yep, the meeting's at 10.59, what? 
10.50? Yeah, it's at 10.59. That's when we'll start. So that's one thing. So you set a precedence about the way that you're going to do things. The second thing, and this sounds, this might sound maybe arrogant, maybe I don't, I don't care, but every, everyone in the world, except a few people that I've managed to influence with this, sets their alarm for 6 a.m. If you want to win, you don't need to be everyone. You need to be earlier than everyone. We win by finishing faster than others, by being there earlier than others. So psychologically, I know, and I've known for a number of years that when I was playing competitive sport, my competitors would be waking up. I'd be awake one minute before them. And that would just give me this insane mental edge. So from there, I wake up most mornings around 429, 4.14. I do sleep in some days till like five or six. But to be honest, mate, after that, I normally wake up when, when it gets light if I'm, if I'm not setting an alarm. Wake up straight away. And I'm going to give you the details, mate. So straight away, clean my teeth, wash my face, look in the mirror and look straight in the mirror. And I want to see my eyes. I want to speak to the person who's in the mirror. And I'll look and I'll say, this is it. Today is going to be the best day of your life. And I believe it, mate. And again, people might think I'm crazy, but I'm looking in this mirror and I'm, I'm not like high five in the mirror. I'm just looking like a bit of a psychopath. And I'm just going, today's going to be the best day of your life. Downstairs, immediately, and this is where health comes in straight away. I'll pee in the bathroom, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> Downstairs, immediately 500 mils of water. I've been thirsty the whole night or I've not been drinking the whole night, so I'm dehydrated. want to have water. And then I'll make a cup of coffee, mate. I am pretty strict on my coffee. I drink good quality coffee, organic ground beans. I'll grind them up. I'll French press them. And to be honest, I'll have that coffee normally just sitting relaxing, thinking. I'll scroll through social media. I don't have a problem seeing social media first thing in the morning because I don't form my opinions based on social media. A lot of people will look at social media and, oh, this picture didn't get enough likes. And then, you know, they're in a spiral on the day. But I, I've tried not, like I, I've not used social media in the morning and I've used it and I don't see much difference. But I'll go through phases. Some mornings I'll read. Some mornings I'll, I'll just scroll my phone. Some mornings I'll... I'll do absolutely nothing, mate. Always check my heart rate as well before I have my coffee. Heart rate, heart rate variability. That helps me to trace where I am with my recovery. Recovery is super important. And two of the main indicators is heart rate and heart rate variability. So I'll do that first thing every morning. And I've got the data for about the last five years. So I know the impact of my training and I know when to pull off and I know when I can go again. And then all of this takes about Gee, I've made it last for about five minutes on the show, but it takes about 30 minutes and then I'm out the door, mate. And I'll either be going for a run, I'll either be going for a ride or I'll be coming to work. And, you know, and then around one or two days a week, I'll have that coffee time with Holly, my wife. That's super important. We love it. We, we actually had it this morning because I, I didn't have to be anywhere until like 7.30 and I wasn't planning on running. And, you know, we're just able to have that time. And that's how I start my day. And it's incredible. Take away the coffee if you want. It'll annoy me. I'm not addicted to it. I'm okay. Uh, I did, again, I did a test a few years ago where I didn't have coffee for about a month. And I didn't have a headache. I didn't feel sick or anything like that. I like coffee. So I drink it first thing in the morning. Like, so that's how, that's how I kick things off, Stefan. And it, it sets me up pretty good. I've been following that routine. It's, it's a 30-minute routine. 
And I've been following it for, for quite a few years now. And as I said, that, that time where I've got my coffee and I'm sat down, that's almost like my meditation time, if you want. I, I'll always do it cross-legged on my yoga mat. So I'll just be sat in a good position, trying to open my hips up. And that for me, whether it's reading and people say, well, reading's not meditation. For me, it kind of is a little bit, you know, it's just like, it's just cool. So that's how I kick things off. Yeah, I think everyone has their own form of, of meditation. Like, you know, for, for me, for, for a long time, I mean, I've been meditating for the last 10 years or so, but I also find long distance running one of the most meditative things ever because I think med- meditation is all about, it's not necessarily about, you know, blocking thoughts or anything. It's really just about becoming fully present in the yeah. moment. And, and what, if you're running, I mean, especially we'll get into this now, but running long distances, there's nothing else that, that can really get you in that moment than, uh, than that. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I think, I think that's where, when it comes to, and, and folks might not have thought that we'd jump down this path, but when it comes to meditation, it's, it's how you define it a little bit. And I think there's a lot of stigma around like the spiritual side of meditation. And yes, we've seen practices that are maybe a little bit more spiritual that work really well. But for me, meditation, mate, is just having time in the day just to be. We're human beings, right? And again, people know this, but it's just to be. So if your being is sitting with your eyes closed, letting thoughts come, letting thoughts go, great. If your being is just reading an article or even scrolling some social media, I can't argue with that. If you wake up from that being or you stand up from that being, and let's take the social media example, you're really fired up or depressed, then that's not being. Like, that's a problem. <laughs> and it's the same sometimes with people that, you know, you say, okay, sit down, read this. Like, some people, that doesn't work. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, the forms of meditation. And I think that's where people need to keep their mind quite open and, 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 and realize that actually we're just playing a little bit with the mind and it's exercise for the mind, which is super important for everyone. Let's talk a bit more about, about mindset and the mind because a few years ago, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but, but yourself and a mutual friend of ours and the first guest on the show, Tom Martin, um, you guys completed Marathon de Sable, which is 250 kilometers in the Sahara Desert, five days self-supported. So my question here is, where did that like that endurance journey for you start and why? I started running when I was a kid. Why? Because my family ran. My mom and dad ran. I was brought up in this environment which promoted that. Did I know at that age of four or five that all those years later in, in 2015 I'd run? It was actually my second, maybe my fourth ultramarathon in, in Marathon de Sable. No. But when you look back, and I think it's important that people take time to look back at why they behave in certain ways and what has caused them to do those things, be it positive or negative. There's a lot of positive behavior that you can, you know, you can kind of root back to your, to your childhood. And there's also some quite negative behavior, which is more uncomfortable for us to, to, to dig into a lot of the time. But when I look back at it, yeah, that's, that's when it was, mate. I remember my parents used to run from home and I used to kind of know, they'd say, we'll be gone for half an hour. And I used to kind of know, okay, half an hour is almost up now. I need to get out the door and I can run up the street and then I can race them the last hundred meters or so. 
And honestly, for me, Stefan, that was like the best time of my life. And so that's, that's really where running started. And then at, at school, I was quite good at running and that earned me various privileges. So I was allowed to get up early in the morning before all the other kids and, and go out into the forest and run. And, you know, when you're young and in school and you've got this special privilege and stuff, you kind of, you exercise it and you, I mean, literally in this case, right, you, you really exercise it and that would make you run more. And yeah, I was just, that, I, I just loved it, mate. But I want to link it back to what you said is that when I reflect on it now, this was my, it was my meditation time. It was me with me. Like, I think, I think it'd be wrong to say there wasn't a, I don't want this to sound too crazy, but it'd be wrong to say I wasn't psychologically affected in some way by being away from my parents from nine years old in boarding school. So maybe the sport and the running was a way that I was dealing with it because I was just able to run through the forest in you know, snowy conditions and, and just breathe in this air. And, you know, at the time I was just running, but when I look back at it now, I think I was just, I was just coming, creating this peace with myself, which it might, that might sound quite deep and crazy, but I, I genuinely think that there's a lot of truth in it. And that's what was happening. And how did that then translate into, or how did that transition into Marathon de Sable and really looking at like ultra distance marathons? It, it's interesting because I hadn't so much connected those dots like I just explained there, when, when I was doing Marathon de Sable, I was, I was doing it because it just, like, it seemed wicked, you know? And, and, and me and Tom were like, you know, this is awesome. And I just, I kind of knew that I, I, I had a client and, you know, I've, I'm asked this question a lot, but I still trying to connect all the dots. So I had a client that came to me in 2009 and she said she's running an ultramarathon. And I was like, what's one of those? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like and then she told me like oh yeah i've seen that in youtube and and this that and the other and i was just like "Mm, this sounds good and then i was almost like i was all at the same time mate i was never a fan of any teachers at school that used to tell me to do stuff that they hadn't done that used to kill me so i was like well if i'm gonna help this lady or i'm gonna help more people in future in ultras i need to get into it and that's really where the first thought, thought of it came. But what it did is it enabled me, because a lot of people will take up endurance or ultra running. And, you know, I, I've had people, I've got a guy who I've been coaching now for, I'll be coming up two years. And before I started coaching him, he'd never run more than 5K. So, like, that's a steep learning curve, right? But I had all of this almost peace around yeah, I can run. Like I've run for my whole life. So when we went to Marathon de Sable, that was the running was the easy bit. And honestly, mate, it's what I say to people when they come and see me. And I think I've coached 15 people through Marathon de Sable and, and they'll, we'll sit down, we'll have a meeting and I'll be like, right, running's the easy part. And they're like, you what? It's 250K. I'm like, yeah, that's the easy part. Now, obviously some of them would go, holy shit, that means the rest of it's like really hard. <laughs> But this is the thing with, with, with ultra events. It's like so much else can happen. So many other things can need your attention. There's a lot of things outside of you, your control that they don't need worrying about. 
But and that's what makes it so much fun and 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 so interesting, mate. And it's just like it's like the most insane roller coaster ride you've you've ever ever been on because you literally the chemical reactions in your body make you naturally higher than you've ever ever been like the dopamine release is just at times insane and then 10 minutes later you're hallucinating you don't know who you are you're freezing cold in some races and you're just like what what am I doing here? You know? And it's like, how did I go from like 3K back there? <laughs> the sun was shining and I'm like high as a kite. And now I'm, I'm literally, and you hear this a lot in ultra running, mate, you know, I'm in hell. And you genuinely are. Like, it's brutal. Like, there's times that are just so tough. But they're the times that are, are so good, mate. Because, and it's, I've, I've had wars with myself. Obviously, the more of these races I've done, the more I've picked up. And that's why, you know, I've developed this, this, this talk that I give now called the Ultra Mindset. And it's a problem-solving system that works in those situations, which that only comes, again, through experience. So if you come to me and you say, Marcus, I need coaching for this race, I, I basically, I've been there. I know what it's like. And I can say to you, Stefan, this is going to happen. Just believe me, this is going to happen. And mate, it's, it's quite funny because the first time you tell people, you're like, okay, the next stage, you're going to hallucinate. They're like looking at me going. And I'm like, you are. Like physiologically, you've been awake too many hours. You're incredibly tired and it's pitch black and this is going to get really quite funky. And then it happens to them. And they're like, wow, that was wild. You know, so, and that's why, sorry, Matt, I talk a lot. I just try and give you and, and the listeners as much like insight in as short a time as possible into, into some of the stuff, because I, I think it's, I think on the, on the surface running is running and you ask 10 people, do you like running? Eight will say, no, I hate it. You know, why do you hate it? It's something that's so natural. It's, but the, the, the mindset they have around it or a behavior that's happened, they hate it because they were forced at school to do it and it was freezing cold, raining in the north of England or wherever you're from. So they've got this incredibly bad memory programmed into their subconscious, which every time they hear running, that memory flashes up in their eyes. That's all they see. And they're wearing this PE kit, which was too short and the rain was lashing on their legs and their legs are red and they're just shivering and chattering. And so for 20 years, they haven't run because every time they hear the word, they see that image. But what about the image of running through the Sahara Desert? It was so huge. And the terrain was so incredible that you look around and you haven't seen anyone for six days except the runners that you're with. And you look up and you look around and you look down and there's, there's salt flats where the earth's just split. And you're like, wow, I'm just like this small ant on this earth. But isn't it just wonderful? And that's when I think of running, that's what I think of. But I also had that experience of getting that rain soaking through my skin. Mate, it would take us two hours to feel our fingers after school cross country. 
And they were so numb and so cold that you couldn't even put them in water because it would burn. But I don't see that. But that's what a lot of people are seeing. And that's yeah. where we've got to help ourselves with the subconscious. And that's why mindset is so, so key to this stuff. And I feel there's also, I mean, based on, based on what you're saying, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of self-awareness that you build through this journey as well. Like you really, and, and I haven't run an ultra marathon, I've run a marathon, and, but just through that training, I, you know, you go through very, very dark places and you understand how you deal with those things. But at the same time, and, and, and you know this better than anyone else, if you can deal with the stuff that you deal with, uh, yeah. running 250 kilometers around around the Sahara Desert for five days. Like you can pretty much deal with anything that life throws at you. I agree with you, mate. And that's what a lot of people will say to me, you know, how, do, how did you get through that? And Holly says it, my wife says it a lot. She's like, how do you how do, you do this? And I'm like, you know, a lot of the time, and you, you said it so clearly, I just, I just literally have to echo what you said, mate. Like a lot of the time there's, there's these problems coming up in life when you think back to your experiences and some of my experiences in, in ultra runnings, whether it's through ultra marathons or my 30 marathons in 30 days, actually this problem is nothing. But in isolation, we're making small problems huge and they're stopping, they're stopping us in our way. But in an ultra, you can't let a problem stop you in your way. You have to figure it out. And that's where this ultra mindset comes around. So the carryover of ultra running into life is is huge and i believe that listen we run a relatively successful business here we're we're impacting a number of people's lives and i believe that these races that i do and am continuing to do is almost like my second education to help me through the business life i i really think it is mate and you know i'm i'm just i'm thankful that i'm able to do it you know, because I'm just learning so much the whole time. What out of those experiences, actually, let's stick specifically to the 250K. Is there like one massive takeaway that you had from that? Like the biggest lesson that you had from that experience? This is a great question. The biggest takeaway I have from ultra running is exactly the same as life. It's not linear. It's not straight all the time. You go up, you go down, you go that way, you go that way. But in a race, you have to get to the end because you've committed to getting to the end. Life's exactly the same. You've committed to something. It's not linear. Dieting, getting fitter, building a relationship, building a business, none of this stuff is linear. You have to be ready to go all over the place and then back and then up and down again. But you have to have the mindset that you're going to get to the end. You're going to build this beautiful career. You're going to build this amazing relationship. You're going to lose that weight. You're going to get fit. You're going to live the best life that you can. If you've got that commitment and you're ready to go, as we say in English, around the houses, then you'll win. And that's the biggest thing from Ultramate because in, in the Sahara, in the middle of the Sahara, you, you don't have the option to call an Uber. <laughs> like... You don't have the option to get Deliveroo if you're hungry. You cannot. And that's why ultramarathons and ultra endurance events are so special because you cannot get out of them. 
unless yeah. you are literally unless you are in a really unhealthy situation whereas life if things aren't good in the office we just chuck up the office desk and we just go i'm coming i'm going home and come back tomorrow like good luck doing that in an ultra we're spoiled we're really spoiled now with with outs but in ultra there's no out and that's really what what helps us get through it because we commit and we have to get to the finish line if only people could do that and bring it into life mate we'd be <sighs> i don't know would we would we just have loads of like really super successful people or you know and then you could go back and you say no we need some failures in life i don't know yeah <laughs> i think i think listen i mean it built like like i said it builds self awareness it builds a lot of humility as well it basically increases your ability to deal well with other people's and with problems and and there's just so many like i think everyone should run an ultra just for just sort of for that reason and you can run your own ultra it doesn't have to be anything about 42 kilometers right it could be your first 10k it can be a, you know cycling or swimming physical activity that that challenges you but i think there's just so much to be learned from that totally agree with you mate and I think your point there, Stefan, is, 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 is incredible and people should take that home. Everyone, everyone's Everest is different. My Everest is my Everest. And what I do is not super hard, mate. Like there's, there's extreme athletes, adventurers that are doing stuff that's way, way better than what I'm doing. I don't care about them. I'm climbing my Everest. I'm picking goals that are big for me that scare me, that challenge me, that teach me things new, all of these things that in leadership books and in motivational books we're, we're reading about all the time. I'm doing that for me. If for you, you're listening to this show right now and you are that person who just, we think of running and we see this image, 5K for you is your ultra. You're going to get all of those emotions that I spoke about and all of those challenges in the maybe... 30 minutes to one hour it's going to take you to do that 5k and that's what i think you know right now we're constantly comparing ourselves to others such and such ran an ultra so i've got to do it stop doing that we're all so different we've all got such different backgrounds we've come from different places we want to go to different places so figure out where you want to get to and then we build a plan for you to get there we are all climbing a different everest and we compare ourselves so much through various different ways these days, and we don't need to. And for a lot of people, that's stopping them from starting, which is even more sad. You are you. You are the most unique human being. You are the most amazing human being there is in the universe. You believe that. And then you start to go to work to achieve your goals and to do things with those two arms, two legs, your brain, and all these amazing gifts you've been given. Don't just sit there and think, oh, because Jim next door did something else, I can't do that. Who cares? You're, Jim's not living your life. You're living your life. And I think that's something that people are not identifying with enough, mate. And I think they really need to tune into it because it's holding them back a lot. How do you advise people on, on how to tune into that and not not necessarily compare themselves to Marcus Smith, who's, who's doing all these incredible races and, and looking at like, okay, this is what's right for you. Ask yourself this question and ask it often. What makes me the happiest in life? That's it. And then 
take your pen and start to write. And write it down. Don't use an app. Don't use your brain. You'll overload both. You'll put too much. Take one piece of paper, take your pen, and start to write down what makes you happy. And, you know, sometimes it, some people might say fast food. The next question I ask is, why does it make you happy? That's a little bit trickier to figure out. And then you need to see someone to verify it. And that's harder as well. They're the steps. And Stefan, I've said it a few times. The process for, you know, the process for understanding our internal motivation is not always easy. We're sometimes going to have to pull stuff out from the past or talk to someone, be it ourselves or someone else, about things that we're not super comfortable with. But only when you've done that are you really going to understand what makes you happy, why, and therefore what your motivation is. And that's, it's, it sounds like such a simple exercise, mate, grabbing that pen and writing it down. But it's brutal. It, it is brutal. And lots of people, for right or for wrong, maybe are not ready to, to face those fears, to face what's happened in the past. And, you know, mate, as I say, my past is my past. A lot of people have had a lot of different things happening. And it's not always comfortable to talk about it. But as you've seen, there's a thread going through what I'm saying here is that some of that stuff is holding you back. And as soon as we can cut it, and that's what I say to people. I'm, one of my jobs is to, or the way that I see my job is to help unlock people and set them free because I know that people can achieve, but something's making them call fast food. What is that? Why is that behavior there? Once I can unlock that, they're never going to call fast food again. Because this is the hard and fast of it as well, buddy. Everyone wants to go to the bathroom first thing in the morning, step out the shower, and look good in front of that mirror. There's no one that, that, there's no one that loves being out of shape. I won't call it fat because I think that's a little bit of a funny term. But people want to look in the mirror and literally do what I was saying earlier, give themselves a high five. I look incredible today. This is it. I'm so happy and I feel so good. Like, ask anyone, do you like being, let's use an example with alcohol, do you like being hungover? No one likes being hungover. But today, hundreds of thousands of people around the world woke up hungover, but no one likes it. Totally weird, right? So that's it. What makes you happy and why does it make you happy? That's where we start from. And be ready to really unpack. It could be some pretty dirty laundry, but you do it once and you set yourself free. And that's amazing. When you're living a free life, it's mate, so cool. Yeah, I think that's a great, I mean, that's a great sort of first step looking at what makes you happy. And once you get a better idea of what that is, whether it's running long distance runs, whether it's spending a lot of time with family, whether whatever it sort of is, then you can start creating a, a more detailed plan on, on how to either achieve specific goals within that or, um, yeah. or just make sure that you spend time doing that. When it comes to your goals, yeah. and, and you know, don't mind me saying this, but they've been pretty outrageous. Like, what's the next step? So you said, okay, I'm going to run 30 kilometers 
sorry, I'm going to run 30 marathons in 30 days. Like, what do you do after you've said that? <laughs> you literally, you, you go to the bathroom, you look in the mirror and go, what the fuck have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, mate, honestly, I'll be totally, mate, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm like, because you have to understand why that's happening, right? We, when we set goals or when we register for things, we release dopamine. This is what happens in the mind. Dopamine is our happy hormone. I was talking about it before. And we feel so good. This is why online shopping is so good because you click and you buy and it's like, ah, this is awesome. You know? So the setting of the goal is amazing. And the commitment and thinking about doing it and I'm going to be running in this awesome desert and, and, and it releases a lot of dopamine. Then we go back and we're like, now I've got to figure out how. Shoot. <laughs> you know, and, and, and mate, like, I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. When I, when I set the goal of the 30 marathons in 30 days, I, it, there was a little bit back and forth whether I was actually going to do it and how it was going to work because it, it was with my tourism. And I remember the day that I came back home and they'd said, yes, we're going to do this. You're going to do it as part of 30, 30, 2018. And I got through the door and Holly said, what did they say? And I said, they said yes. And I remember it, it almost makes me nervous now just telling you, mate, because she looked at me and she could tell I wasn't right. And she said, well, how do you feel? And I just went, I've got to do it now. And I was, I mean, mate, you can tell I talk a lot, but I was just speechless. And all of these emotions are going around. I'm super happy. And I'm absolutely crapping myself at the same time. And honestly, I think if I wasn't that had that nerves around it, I think it would have been the wrong thing to do because that really is part of the process as well, mate. It's, it should be like that. You should be, this is, it just seemed big, you know? And then, mate, I went through, I'll, I'll be totally honest with you. I went through a really interesting time. Physically, again, same as Marathon de Sable. I knew the running would be okay. I knew I had to tune in on some of my recovery protocols and, you know, bits and pieces. But how to wrap my head around it, I was like, this is, it's a month. It's a task for a month. And it got down to a point where actually I called one of my mentors. I believe everyone should have mentors in different areas. So, you know, grab a mentor for business, grab a mentor for girlfriends, boyfriends, if you want, you know, whatever it is. And I, I've had a guy that I've just been friends with for a long time. He's always advised me in different ways and lives in America now. And I called him up and he said, what's up? I said, mate, I need some help. He's like, what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm going to run 30 marathons in 30 days. And you know, as, as all good listeners do, he, he just, you know, he's not phased. He's like a lot of people, like when I told my mom, she's like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, and Ian's not phased at all. He's just like, Oh yeah. So how does that look like? And y you know, you know, when you have the right people around you, because they just ask you questions, which all they're doing, mate, is they're just making you talk. They're making you download it. Same as I said, that's why you need to write what makes you happy with a pen. You're just getting it from, from the sort of memory stick. You're just downloading it. And we're talking and talking and, you know, he's asking me questions. And 15 minutes later, he goes, um, so, mate, just tell me again, what, what exactly are you doing? 
And honestly, Stefan, I'm like, has this guy not even been flipping listening to me? <laughs> like I've been talking here for 15 minutes and he's just asked me. And I said, I said to him, I said, oh, I'm, I'm just going to run one marathon 30 times. And he goes, yeah, that's right. And I was like, I said, but mate, that's what I told you 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes ago. He said, no, you didn't. He said, 15 minutes ago, you told me you're going to run 30 marathons in 30 days. He said, all that was in your mind is 30. And it's so huge. It's so big. All you're now doing is running one marathon each day. And I, I literally, I almost didn't believe him, mate. I was like, no, come on. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I'm struggling for two weeks and, you know, to, to process this thing. And I got off the phone and I'm like, he's right. Like, who cares what happens on day three? Because if I don't take care of day one, day three doesn't come. And this goes, and the reason why I tell this story is because I think it's so important that we're constantly living or trying to live in the future. We're constantly worried about next week. We're constantly worried about next year. And we forget to live right now. And it was killing me because I couldn't put it together. Because I was like, yeah, and on day 15 and 17. And, but those days are irrelevant, mate. They're completely irrelevant. And it, it was... I just became so, and I'd read all the books, like Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, you know, and, and, and I read a lot about stoicism and, and, you know, control the controllables, live now. And, but until that point, I just read this stuff. I hadn't, and that's one thing about all these sort of, let's call it self-help books is you can read them, but you need a chance to practice it. Like, it's great having all the knowledge. It's like being a doctor, but not being able to see patients. Like, you don't know if, it works until you're able to test it out. And as the runs progressed, you know, I, I, I remember like, this is quite a funny one. Someone sent me a message after day 15 and they're like, oh, mate, you're halfway through. And I'm like, I'm halfway, <laughs> like, are you crazy? I'm halfway through. I've still got 15 marathons to run. <laughs> in. <laughs> I'm halfway through. And it made me laugh because I'd never thought, I never thought, I'm halfway through. You know what I mean? Because I just thought, today's finished. I've done today's marathon. And you know, then it got closer to the end and, and people were, were messaging me and they're like, what's the plan for the 31st day? And I'd go on radio and they'd want to talk to me and I'd be like, I don't know. And they couldn't get it. They're like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, I don't know. I said, it's like the 27th day. I said, I'll tell you where I'm running tomorrow. And they're like, what are you going to do to celebrate on the 31st? I don't know. And, and I wasn't trying to be a, an idiot about it or anything, mate. I was just, I hadn't put any energy into it. And literally, and then everyone obviously says, well, what did you do on the 31st day? You know what I did? I woke up in the morning, did exactly what I told you earlier. But this time I made the coffee, I put it in a flask, and Holly and I went to the beach. And we just sat there. And we sat there in absolute peace. And it was, it was wonderful, mate. It was absolutely beautiful. And it really told, told me something, which is why I'm sharing it with you guys as well, is it told me that when life is really hectic, which it had been, mate, for those 30 days, you don't need to make it more hectic. All I needed to do that morning was drink my coffee with my wife 
at the beach. It was Sunday, the 25th of November, 2018. Mo probably should have been at work. There was no one at the beach and we had the most amazing time and we didn't really speak too much. She'd already told me that I'd done a good job. I didn't need her to sit there and stroke my ego, you know, and it was just absolutely incredible because I'd lived in the moment and in that moment, the greatest thing to do was to go and spend some time with the most amazing human being that had been at the end of every single run and sit there and we didn't need to talk. And the more I, again, reflect and dig into this stuff, the more that there are just great lessons that simple things in life work super well. Being present is so, so powerful. And being with someone that's just such an incredible human being is just, just makes life amazing, mate. You know, and that's why it, I'm super open about my relationship with Holly because it's so strong and it gives me so much. And I think a lot of the time, again, maybe from the whole alpha male side, we're not used to expression, expressing those kind of emotions, but I think they're super important to be in touch with. I'm not an angel the whole time, mate. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I'm probably not the best husband the whole time. You know, I'm like three o'clock on the weekend. Yeah, I'm going to see you. I'll be, I'll be in the mountains and stuff like that. But it really taught me that and just to be so, so present. And it's like now, mate, I'm, I'm here. We've got this time together and I'm just all in. And that, that's actually why for, for the listeners, like we're supposed to record this on Thursday and I just knew I wouldn't be able to, to give you my 100%. And that really bugs me. But today I'm here and hopefully I'm giving my best. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, a lot of sort of beautiful lessons in, in what you just shared. And I think another thing on top of that, what, what you mentioned, which you're, mentor Ian, I think was his name said, take it day by day. You know, like I think if you, if you didn't take it day by day for those 30 days, your whole mindset would have been different. Maybe your training would have been different. Uh, your mental approach would have been different. You would have thought about what am I doing on the 31st day? Now you were just like, I'm running a marathon today. Then you wake up the next day, I'm running a marathon today. And that was it for 30 days. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't, it doesn't get boring. This is what people say, oh, wasn't it a bit boring? No, because every day I'm excited because every day is new. It's not just a big block that I have to chip away at. You, 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 you're present every single day. So there's no monotony. And of course, you're going running for 42.2. It's not the same every time. Like some days were painful like hell, mate. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it, again, it's a roller coaster. It's up and down. And it's going that way to go that way to go back that way to go around that way. It's exactly what I was talking about. But that's the ultra mindset, you know? It's just that's the mindset you have to have. So it, it was beautiful, mate. It was absolutely beautiful. What do you tell yourself when you reach like really dark places in 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 those races like what what is your internal dialogue yeah a lot of people ask me like when it's going really bad what do you do and this is where i i, I have this formula it's called the ultra mindset number one you have to admit that you have a problem a lot of people oh, no no it's not happening i don't want it to happen they try and block it out this is not just an ultra running this is in a number of areas of life if your leg hurts, your brain, there's a signal, your leg hurts. You have to admit that there's a problem. That's number one. People are trying to stay in denial of problems in all areas or number of areas of life for way too long. Number one, admit that there's a problem. Number two, 
reject that it's going to stop you from reaching your goal. There was absolutely, in my marathons, there was absolutely no way I was not getting to the end every single day. I would crawl there. That would be fine. I would always going to get there. So you have to reject the fact that it's going to stop you from getting your goal. That's super important. The third thing you have to do is just relax. In these situations where we think our mind's talking, we're all, ah, haywire. Again, go back to what's worked for thousands of years and breathe. Slow things right down. Just breathe. We are caught. There's a lot of adrenaline in sport. There's a lot of adrenaline involved. There's so much going on in the body. We just need it to calm down. So relax is the third point of the ultra mindset. And then the fourth point, and this is the hardest for people to do, but this also got me through hospital when, when, when I paid a visit there a few years back, is ask yourself, what can I do right now to make this situation just a tiny bit better? I'm not asking for big wins. I'm just asking to make the situation a tiny bit better. In ultras, sometimes, and this is what I'm saying about going this way to go this way to come back, that might be going and sitting under a tree that has some shade. It's almost counterintuitive because as you do that, a lot of your competitors might go past you, but your competitors are not fighting the same war that you're fighting. They're not climbing the same Everest that you're climbing right now. Sitting under that tree might be the one thing that you can do to make the situation this little bit better. And I've seen it happen in ultras. People will sit down. I'd sit down. I'd get my clients to sit down under a tree, just take some shade. And later in the day, you just go sailing past everyone that's past you. And that happens in life as well. And it's, if you think about this, Stefan, this is what we were taught in the early days when our parents would turn around and say, let's just sleep on it. We'll deal with this tomorrow. And you're a screaming kid. No, I want to deal with it now. <laughs> it's like, we can't do anything to make this situation better right now. You know, and this behavior 100% came from my dad. 100%, mate. Like a lot of people say, where did you get that from? I'm like, my dad. Like he would, I'd be like going frantic and dad's super calm. And he's like, well, we can't change any of this now. I'll call the plumber tomorrow. Like there's water going everywhere sort of thing, you know. <laughs> we'll get the plumber in tomorrow. I'm like, you're not stressed out about this? No because I can't change it, you know? And, and, and so they're, they're really the four points that I, that I use that to help that, to connect that to other people, to make it resonate. When you're having a tough time, when that inner voice is talking to you, when you feel like the devil's on your back, no matter where you are, stop, admit you've got a problem, reject the fact that it's going to stop you from getting your goal, stay relaxed, figure out what you can do right now just to make it a little bit better and be okay if that's sitting down under a tree in the shade. I think that's super important. And it's, it's a really simple four points. And, but again, like people are listening and going, yeah, but that's so simple. Yes, it's simple. It really is. And that's one of our brand values is simplicity, right? <laughs> you know, because a lot of this stuff is, is so simple. And we have like people, I get people a lot, like coming to me and, and, and they'll say, can I have a chat? I'll be like, yeah, let's have a chat. What's up? I'm looking for some answers. Okay, well, I don't have any in my pocket. Like, you know, what, what are you looking for? They're like, 
I'm, I'm, I need answers. I'm like, what do you need answers to? And they're like, I don't know. And it's like, oh, so you're looking for answers to questions that we don't even know what they are. We always think that we're looking for something. We can just relax and we'll get through. And I think yeah. that's, it's, it's so applicable, mate, in so many different areas of life. And I think and controlling the controllables is, is a, a, I think, a big summary of, of what you just said. And I think yes. uh, the last thing I really want to get into, um, and, and it's a story that's going to be hard to believe for some, if not many, of our listeners. And it was, it was daunting for me to, because I, I watched the, the documentary of this, essentially. But you, a few years ago, were, were hit by a truck, smashed into a wall cycling at 54 kilometers per hour. Um, could you take us through the story in a bit more detail about what happened and, and sort of how you dealt with it? Yeah, sure I can, mate. Thanks for watching the documentary, by the way. My friend spent a lot of time to put that together and it was quite an interesting thing to, to do. So I, I really do appreciate people that have watched it. It's on YouTube if you haven't. <laughs> Shameless plug, but yeah, there it is. Um, yeah, so I was cycling out here in, in, in the UAE on the, the highway from Dubai to, to Sharjah to Kalba in the mountains there. And to be honest, mate, I was in the wrong. 50% my fault, 50% the truck driver shouldn't be doing what he was doing. So we're equally to blame. So no, I'm not angry at him. And it's just the way life is sometimes. He pulled across me, which basically I hit the front of this truck and then I hit a brick wall. And on the impact on that brick wall, it doesn't, humans don't mix well at high speeds with concrete. Basically, it's what I learned. And on the impact, I, I broke my, my left shoulder blade, my scapula. And I'd, I'd later go on to learn that I'd broken several of my ribs. The third one from the top, I broke in two places. So pretty painful. Those bones are not really the, the major issue here. The Sort of, I guess you could say the major issue that I faced was on the impact with the wall, my left lung, if it was a beach ball, it's the moment that a kid never wants to happen when you just hear it go, and it just goes down almost to nothing. So my left lung had collapsed, which I can see in your face is pretty <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And it makes it very difficult to breathe. When that happened, blood started coming out of my mouth and I was like, we've got a problem here. I was fully conscious. I was like, we've definitely got a problem here. And what I did in that moment was almost subconsciously apply my ultra mindset is that I knew that we had a problem. I admitted that we had a problem. And in that next moment, and this was probably one of the hardest things to do. I literally rejected that this problem would kill me because I knew it could. And that's a situation which I'd never faced before. And I hope a lot of people don't have to face. But I was faced with literally life or death. And what happened next, Stefan, was quite a wild experience. And the more I talk about it on shows like this, so thank you for asking the question because it's almost therapy for me. The more I believe in that moment, my, almost my soul and my body 
and this is going to sound crazy for a lot of people, hang tight with me and I'll explain it, we're separated. Because with that thought of reject that it's going to end my life, all of the pain that I was in and the inability to breathe completely stopped. I was in no pain at all. And I was really quite peaceful as this truck driver walked towards me and I saw straight through him to the other side of the road. And I'm on the other side of the road now, mentally. I wasn't in my body. And I thought to myself, I'm actually, I love my life. I woke up this morning, I kissed my wife goodbye. She's an amazing human being. I'm out here riding with three incredible guys and I don't want this to end. And with that thought, I was like, well, what are the options here? And I've thought about options a lot and not giving ourselves options. And with that thought, I was like, well, there isn't any option here. The option here is literally to go back into that body and fight for every single breath because that's what it's going to take. And bang, with that thought, I'm back into my body. I'm in extreme pain again, and I'm gasping for air. I'm trying to stay relaxed. I'm trying to practice what I preach. Step number three, relax. But it was manic just to breathe. But in that moment, what I could do to make it a little bit better was just to try and get some oxygen into my lungs. Fast forward, it took two hours to get me to the emergency room, which was, mate, I could tell you the story over like three hours of what happened. I went in two different ambulances and trying to get needles in my hand and painkillers and I'll, I'll keep it nice and short. It was, it was incredible. It was, I'd never wanted oxygen so badly and we're in the back of this ambulance and they go to turn it on and it was an old tap which had rusted. And all that happened was some dribbles of rusty water dripped down. And I'm like, I'm going to get relief. This pain's going to stop. And with that turn of the tap, I knew that I had no relief at all. And it was wild. End up in hospital, mate. And I was there in ICU for two or three days because I'd punctured my lung. So I had a drain in my lung to just check if it was going to expand again. And I couldn't move. I was literally laying on the bed for, for those three days in, in ICU. They tried to put the bed up sometimes, but it was in, incredibly painful. And it was interesting because I think this is where this ultra mindset thing really got hammered home is I was kind of in and out of sleeping with, with all the painkillers I was on. And I woke up at one stage and I wasn't shouting, mate. I'm going to say I was shouting, but I wasn't. I was just like groaning. <laughs> Holly's by my bedside and she's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, she's just, she's just strong as an ox, mate. She's, she's so emotional, but in, in the whole thing, she was just like so not unemotional, but she was just so good. And I was, I was like, what do you mean? Why are you talking to me like that? You know, <laughs> you know and I was like, and I tried to explain to her, I was like, what if this and what if that and why did this happen? And, you know, you go into this immediate regret. And she looked at me very straight and very calm 
And she said, it is what it is. And I was like, whoa. You know, I was like, holy shit. And I thought back to like what I was saying before that sometimes we hang around with people and, you know, so you, you say to someone like, gee, what if it was different? And they go, yeah, like what if it was different? And, and we start to have this conversation about what if it was different, but that's not going to achieve anything. And she just said, it is what it is. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not getting any. And I wasn't looking for sympathy, but, I, you know, and then I kind of went back to sleep. And I think the next time I woke up and I started smiling She's like, what's going on? I said, I'm going to start training. <laughs> and I'm laid there, mate. I've got, I've got the oxygen going up my nose. I've got stuff like uh, in ICU, you're constantly rigged up to machines telling you how your heart's doing and stuff. I've got one pipe of blood coming out of my lungs. I've got a catheter in for, for, for peeing. You know, I've got tubes everywhere. And she just sort of looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't need to say anything. It was like, she's like, yeah, right, idiot. What are you going to do? And I looked down at my body, mate, and I couldn't move it. I literally couldn't. And my hand, my left hand, like I, I try and show you from here. It wasn't on my chest, but it was on my lap down. And I sort of looked at my hand. Right hand was good. I could still take selfies. That was all good. But my left hand, because my left side of my body was just smoke. I, like, I sort of moved it a little bit away from my body. And I saw it in this palm down position. And I looked at it and I thought, I wonder if I can rotate that to palm up. And literally, mate, it was like I just set a new world record. I was like, this is amazing. So I've got it here now, palm up. And I'm like, I'm really pushing the boundaries. I'm like, I wonder if I can get it to palm down. <laughs> so, and I've got it to palm down. I was like, wow, this is unreal. And then I thought to myself, well, 10 reps of this would be good. So I'm literally, I'm just going like this so slowly. And I know she's trying to laugh. And I'm laughing as well because dopamine, best day of my life. Everything's just kicking off inside me because I'm training. And I'm literally, I don't know how many minutes it took me to get to 10, but at that pace, it wasn't fast. And I've just, I put my hand back down. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, I'm going to go to sleep for 10 minutes now. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do that again. And to be honest with you, that's what I did. I just kept doing that. And it wasn't 10 minutes. I was asleep for a lot longer. But those small things, that what can I do right now? And two or three days later, I was out of intensive care. I went to the main ward. With, still with all my tubes in, but I was getting a lot better. And I just try and do different things like that every day. Just like one day I'd, I'd want to get to the toilet on my own, you know, and, 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 and the next day I'd want to walk around the, the corridor of the ward, you know, and it would take forever, mate. Like I'm, I'm saying, I'd just go for a walk. It wasn't like that at all. Like I'd walk 20 meters in 20 minutes, you know, but instead of going, oh, Oh God, it, it, it took me like, oh, it, I'm so slow. It took me 20 minutes to do 20 meters today. I was like, this is amazing. I've done 20 meters of walking today. And I was over the moon. I was like, this is the best day of my life. Because three days ago, I couldn't walk. And now I can walk. And I have to celebrate this. And this is just amazing because I can do something better today than I did yesterday. And I knew 
because of how busted up my body was. And again, people have had worse crashes than me, I know. And people are in worse situations. But I knew if I took these small steps every single day, I'd get better. And then one final thing, mate, that I want to share about my crash, which I believe is the biggest therapy and one of the best things that helped me. I sort of touched on it before, but it's the ability to speak about it on shows like yours, for which I'm grateful to everyone who's asked me the same question that you've asked. And on a par with that was the number of people that came to see me in hospital. I remember the third day that I was in the main ward and it was 10 p.m. And Holly turned around to me and she basically just said, we haven't had a minute on our own the whole day. She goes, I just want you to myself for two minutes. And I was like, she deserves that. But how powerful is the fact that from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., there was people in that room that had the most insane energy that asked me those questions over and over, just like you did, and gave me this chance to speak and to download. And like people would come in and they'd say, are you not bored about talking about that accident? I'm like, no, 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 let me tell you about it. Like literally, mate. because I realized after two or three days that if I got everything out, if I answered every single question, that that would be my therapy. And what's the end result? I've never had one flashback. I've never had one nightmare. And I feel absolutely fantastic speaking about it. It's something that nearly took my life. And it's an incredibly selfish thing to take my life with because I was pursuing something that that only benefits me, my cycling interests. So I put my family's happiness at risk from nearly taking my life. And yes, it was an accident. And yes, accidents do happen. But there's no negative knock-on effects from it because of those great people that came to me, that still reach out to me right now, that still allow me to be on their shows, talking about it. All of this is therapy. I've done over 100 podcasts on it, talking about the accident. And a lot of people will... People that I meet, they're like, oh, can I ask you a question about your crash? I'm like, yeah, of course you can, dude. Like, I'm great for it. And they're like, are you okay talking about it? I'm like, it's therapy. We have to speak, folks. We really, really have to speak. It gets everything out of our mind. And some people have challenged me in different ways. Do you think that happened because of this and that behavior because of that? And it's made me think. And that's been my therapy. And it's, it's just incredible how much it ha- has helped me. Yeah, I think outside of your 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 mindset and you know your call it an upbringing and an ultra lifestyle, I think also the people that have been around you, whether it's your coaches, whether it's your wife, whether it's your athletes, and another thing that I just realized, one of the things that you mentioned are with both Holly and Ian, it was one sentence in in horrible situations that completely shifted the way that you were thinking about uh, whatever you were going through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that if you think about it as well, mate, like when we think about 
teachers that had the biggest impact on us. When we think about leaders in the world that had the biggest impact on us, they listen and then they hit us with one word, one short sentence, and it shows that they've listened and it helps us unbelievably. You don't need to say a lot to a lot of people. And I I know that through my coaching because I'll just, I'll sit back and I'll just ask a really simple question. And even I had an athlete recently and he wrote in a post, uh, you know, I had this conversation with Marcus at, at this tough time and everyone's messaging me. What did you say to him? What did you say to him? And everyone's messaging him. What did you, what did he say? And we're both like, it wasn't really that inspirational. <laughs> it was just like, I listened to his problem and then I said something, you know, and I think that's the biggest help that, I mean, you picked it up right, right there, mate. Like what Ian did and what Holly did to for me is just, it's so simple, but so powerful. Yeah. Marcus, with that, I, I firstly want to just thank you for being on the show. And, and, you know, it's been, it's been a great hour and 20 minutes that I think a lot of people are going to learn a tremendous amount from. I really respect you and, and your journey and what you're doing uh, to change the mindsets and the lives of, of all the people that you are in touch with. And um, I know really um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being on the show. Oh, mate, not at all. Thank you. I, honestly, from a selfish perspective, thank you for the opportunity and it helps. And I, I just hope that, you know, if so, people listen to the show, if someone goes and do, does something that makes their life a bit better, then you've done a fantastic job and, and I've done my job. So thank you for the opportunity and, and thanks for putting the content out there. It's, it's, it's awesome. I appreciate it, Marcus. Thank you so much. We just had an incredible episode with Marcus Smith and learned a tremendous amount from him. As always, we want to give you a few key takeaways. In this case, it's going to be six of them. And these are things that you can integrate into your own lives on a daily basis and let us know how you get on. So number one, are you looking for answers? Are you unsure what you want to do in life? Go ahead and write down what makes you happy and do that. Simple as that. Number two, have a consistent morning routine and integrate strong value-adding habits. You don't have to go all out immediately. Just start small and build from there. Three, win by waking up earlier than others. Marcus spoke about setting your alarm at 5.59 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. just to get that edge over everyone else. So set your alarm just a minute earlier for tomorrow. Similar to ultra running, life is not linear. It's not one straight line. You have to be ready for whatever comes your way and have the mindset to see it all the way through. Build that resilience. Number five, find your own Everest. Figure out what it is you want to focus on, something that challenges you, scares you, but also excites you. It doesn't have to be an ultramarathon, but have a deep think of what it could be. And finally, take it day by day and stop worrying about the future so much. Being present and focusing on what's in front of us alleviates all anxiety and worry. 